Always thankful. Though it's a good time of year to be thankful. Want to give a special uh, shout out to a couple good friends that are in town all the way from Hawaii. Lauren and Dan Heath are with us right back here. Great to have you with us. Fired up to see you. Hope you enjoy our weather here. Hey, Gary, I'm sorry to do this to you, but the CD's playing through the monitor up here. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm a single-minded person. I can't. Now, my wife, she would have had no problem with that, and she would be able to have a conversation while she's speaking and listen to that song. I'm not wired that way. You know, I think about a time 10 years ago, this is the Christmas holidays is coming up in our family. You know, the time when kids start making Christmas lists. And we got home late and uh, walked into the office and said, honey, you got to come in and see this. And there on the computer screen was a website and a really awesome pair of Nike shoes. They were the Kobe 2K4s. And then there was a note handwritten by our son, Luke. By the way, I texted him this morning, and this story is being told with permission. Some of them I tell without permission, and the kids give me a hard time. This one was signed off on. But the note says, Dear Mom and Dad, For Christmas this year, I want you to get me the Kobe 2K4s. I already have the website where you can buy them set up for you. These are the greatest shoes ever, and you need to hurry because they only have a limited supply. And if you don't buy them soon, they will be gone forever. <laughs> I have been really good this year, and I am willing to even pay the tax and the shipping. We saved that note. That went into the save file. And I laugh because you, you think about Christmas, and I'm sure every parent has a similar type of story of a conversation or a note that their child or children have provided to, to help them, sway them, to motivate them during the gift-giving time. You know, I was thinking about at, at what age do we stop making Christmas lists? You know, I, I kind of thought, well, I guess it's when you become the, uh, the payer. <laughs> then, then you start thinking more about the giving than the receiving. But as a parent, it's really a fun time of life. Uh, it really is so much more enjoyable, as the Bible says, to give rather than receive. And yet I'm not sure in our heart if the Christmas list idea ever totally leaves us. Yeah, I, I'm 
reminded of what James and John asked Jesus in Mark 10, 35, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. And we're going to go and look at this in a little bit. But you just know that when the Bible is recording a conversation with Jesus that begins with two of his closest guys, the guys that have been fully trained have seen Jesus do what only Jesus does. And it starts with, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. You just know that something exciting is going to follow. Now, Jesus responds and he goes, well, what is it that you want? And I think in this time of year, gratitude can be in short supply. And I find in my life as a disciple that the battle to be grateful and stay grateful it's not because I don't have opportunity, not because I don't have reason. It's just a daily battle with my own human heart to think about what I have to be thankful for or sometimes what I feel like I need in order to become thankful. Yeah, I look around on the tables and I see an incredible amount of items that are going to help encourage people and meet needs. You know, and I appreciate the story being shared about that young man that didn't have a mom and dad and then had some guardians that had cancer and were going to die. And you think about, wow, what, what a great use of a Nintendo Wii game system to encourage somebody. And I think too often we get focused on our own life instead of those that have more needs. Now we think about what has happened in the Philippines. And we're automatically grateful for what we have. You say, what changed in our life? Nothing, but we were confronted with thousands of people that lost everything in an instant. And all of a sudden, you start thinking about how much we have versus how little we have. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul describes a battle that you and I face every single day in our life. And he says, starting in verse 17, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And then in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, Paul's talking about the battle that's inside of every man and every woman. It's the internal struggle to be the created being that God wants us to be or the sinful, corrupted person that Satan wants us to be. It's a battle that's never going to end. There are two distinct persons inside of you battling for control in your life. And it's why you can have a good day, an amazing day, the best day you ever had, and wake up the next morning and go, I just don't know if I want to live this way anymore. And wonder, where did that come from? No, it's the old self. There's the old self and the new self. And Paul says, get rid of the old self. Jesus says, deny the old self. He doesn't say persuade the old self to think differently. You just ignore it. Because sometimes we think, well, you know, I need to wait to act until I feel like acting in a righteous way. The only problem is the old self will never, ever feel like acting righteously. So as long as you're battling with the old self, which is going to be every day, by definition, you would never do anything righteous because the old self will always dominate. As Christians, as God-loving men and women, we need to go after the new self. We need to let that be the decision-making factor in our life. When our hearts in turmoil, when our minds divided, go, wait, okay, let me divide into two categories. Which of this feeling or thought process is old self? And which of it would be new self? And you'll be able to see. And then go, okay, what do I ignore? And what do I obey? Paul says, it's just that simple. The only problem with life as we know it lives according to the old self. It says, don't live as the Gentiles do. Don't live as society lives. It says, they're darkened in their thinking and their understanding and separated from the life of God. It says, because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You know, that's a scary passage. Because to be ignorant means you don't know. Now, sometimes we think we know but we're clued out. You say, worldly thinking, it's hardened. It's calloused. 
It says it's, there's futility. There's no sensitivity. It's numb. But sometimes in our life we can go, I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to feel anything. You know, I'd rather be numb. You know, that's what leprosy is. You don't feel anymore. Leprosy is actually not that significant of a disease. It's very curable. The problem with leprosy is you don't, you don't feel what you should feel. You wear off your fingers and toes. You know what? That's the, the world wants to numb out because it's just easier to not have to feel. And yet for you and I that, that love God and we want our heart to be sensitive, we want our heart to be soft and moldable and receptive. We've got that new self, old self battle that we are going to face every single day. It says it's being corrupted. It says you were taught with regard to your former way of life, verse 22, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Deceitful desires to be deceived. We don't see it. We're fooled. We don't realize that we're missing the truth of what's going on. Now think back to Mark 10, 35, and we're going to turn over there. We'll end up back in Ephesians here. But in Mark 10, 35, we read that story that began, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. You know, the first thing that, that struck me about this is the surprising nature of the request from two men that spent months and years around Jesus. Like, do you ever think, I mean, if I was so connected to Jesus, if I could just live in his midst, then I wouldn't struggle with these things. Well, here's James and John, two of his three closest disciples. And don't you want to, like, kind of shake them a little bit and go, guys, bad request. Like, don't, don't ask him that one. I know how this is going to end. But they weren't the only ones says, we want you to do whatever we ask. Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You go, I mean, isn't it good to ask? To, I mean, you know, to be close to Jesus. You know, because we, we, we want to sit next to you in your glory. Doesn't it sound good? Your glory. You know, I want more money so I can give more to God. Uh-huh. Maybe. But remember, deceitful desires. We, we come up with stuff and we make it sound good. James and John, they, they were interested in being close to Jesus in his glory. Jesus knew what that was all about. And he said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Oh, we can. Uh-huh. Bring it on. You will drink the 
cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten about, uh, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Why? You ever been miffed when somebody else got your dream? There's a blessing that you want for his glory. And somebody else gets the blessing. And how do you feel? Do you rejoice with them? No, they were concerned about themselves. How can I sit in that place if you get it? A lot of hearts were being exposed right here. You go, now this is the 12. These are the guys that were going to take Christianity to you and I. And what had they learned from Jesus? We want you to do whatever we ask. I got a Christmas list, Jesus, and here's what's on it. It's for your glory. Jesus says, you know that those who regard it as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, a question that Jesus answered was not the question that they asked. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, I just want to be great. They didn't say that. They said, hey, we just want to be close to you because, you know, it's your glory. But Jesus, as he always does, he gets right to the heart of the matter and he goes, you want to be great? Be a servant. Be a slave of all. It's the exact opposite of what they were thinking. He answered the question. He said, here's where true greatness lies. He said, why would they ever have asked that question in the first place? Is there any part of Jesus' ministry that would make us think if we had opportunity that that would have been a good request? You know, I think the story's in there because you and I relate to it. We don't want to say we relate to it. But what does our prayer life say about what we can relate to? We pray about what we can get or what we can give. You know, sometimes it reads just like a note that Luke left for us 10 years ago. This is my opportunity. And if you don't give it to me now, the opportunity will be gone forever. And I will even pay the tax and shipping. You ever negotiated with God? God, if you do this, then here's what I will do. And God's like, well, why don't you want to do that in the first place? Why is there an if? See, the heart of God is not to think about what we can get, 
but what we can give. Now, one of the stories that I received about the disciples rescued in the Tacloban ministry is every single one of them who was rescued, they went through a counseling process, you know, which was good because you just lost everything. Every single one of them enlisted with Hope Worldwide to go and help rescue other people. You say, what would motivate somebody to do that? Somebody who wants to be great. Somebody that's committed to living according to the new self. Because you know what the old self would be telling you right about then? Oh, poor is me. Look at what I don't have. Everything I had got taken away from me by a typhoon in an instant. I'm going to sit around and everybody ought to be given to me. Now the new self says, and there, there's people out there that don't have what I have. They don't have the friendship. They don't have the fellowship. They don't have the emotional support. I want to do whatever I can to help somebody else. I think even, you know, when we give, it would be amazing if we could each watch a video of the face of the person that grabbed the items that you brought and the relief, the encouragement, or the hunger that would be satisfied because of what you gave. You know, I brought a bunch of pasta Soup, deodorant. I don't need that much deodorant. You'll be fine. I'm just kidding. Um, but our problem is we're, we're rarely ever in need. You know, I was thinking about this. There's only two times I can think of where I was really in need physically. And one of them I don't remember. I've only seen a picture but I was reminded of it because I went and saw Robbie and Angie's son. And, uh, you know, he's in the uh, NICU, the, the, you know, newborn ICU, and um, he, he's doing well, but they're taking some precautions there. But I went in there to see the little guy, and there's all these, you know, machines and tubes and, you know, the incubators and all that. I spent the first six weeks of my life in a similar contraption, although they didn't have any tubes and stuff back then in 67. And I got fed by an eyedropper every hour because that was the smallest thing that they could use to feed me. I don't remember any of it, but I was grateful that I got fed because I'm here today uh, because the nurse, every hour, using a little eyedropper feeding me. No, the only other time that I can uh, think of where I was in serious need was on a hike of Mount Whitney. And uh, the water purifier that I had got left with somebody else. And after the summit coming back, ran out of water. And, you know, you can stand there, but that's not going to get you back home and there's no water. And, and so, you know, an 11-mile hike home and I had no water. And I was begging water from every group that was coming up the trail. And I, it was so humbling, but I didn't care. 
I mean, I, uh, do you guys have any water, any liquid of any kind that you can spare? And I would just hold my jar out and they'd, you know, squeeze a little liquid in there because they only had, you know, you don't carry like a gallon extra of water when you're hiking Whitney. You, you kind of pace yourself. And so I had to beg like for small amounts of water. I was massively dehydrated, but I, ma I made it back by begging from liquid. I was so grateful. You know, and there's times in our life where we go, I am so hungry, I'm starving. I doubt anyone in here has ever almost starved to death. And that can be our problem. Because we don't think about the need that's getting satisfied, we think about what we don't have. And the deceitful desires, they come in and they, and they corrupt our thinking. And so instead of being able to say, here's what I am so grateful for, the old self goes, how can you be happy unless you have this in your life? And it sets us up for a miserable way of thinking. It robs us of gratitude because we think, I can't be happy until this occurs. See, that's the old self. But even survivors of a typhoon that have absolutely nothing can find gratitude in their hearts and go and help somebody else. It's the heart of God. I think about uh, some of the verses in the Bible that reveal the heart of God. In Zephaniah three seventeen, it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I love that picture of God. That he's mighty. He'll save you. He takes great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love and he'll, he'll rejoice over you with singing. You. Not the person next to you. You. You know, this is one of those verses we go, well, I believe that, you know, for this person. No, no, no. This is written for you. This is how God feels about you. Flaws and all. God does not sit back there and go, I'm going to wait and see if you live a good day. And if you do, then I will take great delight in you. No, God is more aware of our sins and our flaws than we are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And he sings over you. He takes great delight in you. He does not put up with you. He's fired up about you. I think about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Bible doesn't just say he loved the world. It says he so loved the world. It's different. It's a magnitude of love that he gave his one and only son. It's the heart of God to give. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins this book and he says, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It's the heart of God to give and to take ownership. I love this. It says to, to adopt us as a son or a daughter, to say, I am your dad. I am choosing you as my son. I am choosing you as my daughter. It's official. My seal of ownership is on you. You are mine. It was so awesome. This week, the Dudarians went to court and Scott officially adopted Reese as his son. I told Reese, you are now officially little dirds. We've been calling you little dirds for a while. Now it's official. But I said, Reese, how was it? I saw him this morning in the fellowship. How was it? And he said, I, I just couldn't stop smiling. I said, you shouldn't stop smiling. It's spectacular what happened. You know, I asked Scott about it. and He goes, it was so cool. The whole thing. And he goes, my dad was fired up. Reese was fired up. We were fired up. Why? Because it became official. Did Scott love Reese before he was adopted? Oh, yeah. Did Scott decide to adopt Reese because Reese is perfect and flawless? Yes. Scott's out in Kid's Kingdom. He didn't even know I'm talking about him, but he'll find out. No, flaws and all. You don't adopt because somebody's perfect or flawed. It's about the relationship. It's about the person. It's about the heart. And God looked at you and he said, you. I'm adopting you. You're so awesome. You, you got to be in my family. I can't let anyone else pick you. you got to be in mine. It is the heart of God. You know, when, when we go back to Ephesians, well, I guess we're in Ephesians. We go back to chapter 4 and 5. And, and it talks about this internal battle. It's interesting. One, one of the things in the list that it talks about with the new self you know, it says, don't lie. Uh, you know, you got to speak truthfully. And, you know, you got to get rid of the anger. And, you know, it's talking about that. And then it says in verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. No, that's just good input for a Christian. Stop stealing. You say, why? Is the point you're making is because stealing's wrong? No, it is wrong, but that's not the point. Says, but you must work doing something useful. Why? So that you may have something to share with those in need. What is it about the heart of God? Why should you stop stealing? Because the heart of God is not to be a taker. You know, don't let ourselves off the hook just by going, oh, I didn't rob anybody this week, so I'm obeying. We cannot rob and still be a taker. Are you a taker or a giver? The heart of God is to give. 
says that's the heart we got to focus on. To give. What do I want? But how can I meet a need? You know, it's one, one of my favorite times of ministering is when, when you go and you visit, you know, the parents of a newborn. And uh, it was awesome talking with Robbie. And I go, so how are you feeling? And he goes, wow, it's been, you know, it's been amazing. The, the whole experience has just been incredible. And he goes, you know, the, the thing that I feel so much is just, you know, as soon as the baby was born, I just thought, I, I need to protect it. And I said, that's the heart of God. You know, protection requires effort, energy, resources. You know, you don't say, I, I just am going to protect my child when I'm not tired. No, you protect at all times. You do whatever you can. Why? Because that's just the heart that you have. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter. He goes, I just feel like I've experienced one level of fatigue to the next. And I said, I just chuckled and I said, it's only just begun. I said, Robbie, you're going to learn so much about the heart of God by becoming a dad yourself. You know, it's just amazing to think about how God feels about me. That he loves me so much that here's what he did. And the new self says, have that heart. Be an imitator. He gave. That's what God did. And then you get down in verse 15, a little farther in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This is okay. We now know the theory. We got the new self, old self theory down. It's clear. It's biblical. It's laid out. But wisdom is, is different than knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to put it into practice. You can know the right thing and make the wrong decision. That makes you dumb, not wise. So we got to be wise people. So that's what it's saying. Be very careful then how we live. we got to put this into practice. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you got two choices. Remember the old self, new self battle. Old self, numb out, be dull-minded. Drink, get drunk, numb out so you don't feel a thing. You won't have any stress to deal with if you're numb. Only problem is that's unwise. It's foolish. It's not the heart of God. Because what are we supposed to do? Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to another, another with 
uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We encourage one another. We sing out to the Lord. It's in our daily relationship with God. And it says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, good and bad. Always giving thanks. Gratitude is powerful. See, I got two practicals. We already talked about being a giver, not a taker. Be a giver every day. Give in some way, whether it's serving, encouraging, calling your time, helping, you know, physically with something. Maybe it's Bible teaching, Bible study, praying with somebody, teaching them the word of God. Being a giver every day, make a point to have the heart of God and take your eyes off yourself, put it on somebody else and, and do it because the new self is created to be like God. The second thing is be a thanker. Every day, repeat what you're thankful for. Make a list. You go, well, I did, and it didn't work. Then make a longer list. So I did, and it still hasn't changed my heart. Then make a longer list. Find things to be grateful for. Focus on that. Now, you ever open up the fridge and go, there's nothing in here to eat? You know what? Try this. If you think that, fast for eat nothing for three days. Nothing. Then go back and open your fridge, see if you can find anything. <laughs> no good experiment. You know, there's a lot to be thankful for when you feel the need. Say, so we need to be wise. Every day, purposely express gratitude to God and the people in our life. It will change who we are. Always thankful. You know, this will be easy to remember because we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. You know, you got the two practicals right there. Thanks and giving. You know, so you'll be able to remember the two practicals for this sermon. And we want it to be every day, not just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, prep myself. And on Thursday, I'm going to really do a good job with this every day. Put this into practice. You know, let's, let's not be unwise. What would that be like? Well, it would be a lot like going to Jesus, going, hey, Jesus, I want you to do whatever I ask. You just know that's not going to go well. She says, let me tell you, if you're thankful and if you're a giver, you will be great and you'll be fired up. Let's keep these practicals in mind. Let's imitate the heart of God. Let's focus on what we can give. You know, when you look around the room, we got a lot of, of practical examples of the heart of God. You think about giving to Hope Worldwide. You think about giving to the relief effort in the Philippines, you got the heart of God. Two weeks from now when we give to the toy drive, that's the heart of God. And you feel good when you, when you look and you see everything that's accomplished. Let's keep it up. Let's imitate God. Let's be always thankful. Let's stand as we close in one final song. Amen. Let's go.